it is fun to be with you all. I feel a little bit like, wow, this is a whole different group than our morning group. I'm attending on Tuesday mornings, and it has been a joy to go through this study and learn from all our authors and all our parables and all of that. Before we get going, I, um, I brought something for us. Let me get my, let me get my big bag here. Kind of heavy. I'm going to need a volunteer from every table. If you could get someone from one of your tables to come this way. I have something everybody needs one of in my big bag here. So if we could get everybody, send somebody up. I've got a special candy. Now it's not a Valentine's candy because Valentine's candy is chocolate and usually melts. So let me just give you all some. Make sure everybody at your table gets one. If you need some more, you can come back up. Just take Take and go and take and go. And if you need more, come back up. Keep going. Go to your table. <laughs> go, go, go. Everybody go to their tables. All right. I've got this giant bag. Everybody needs one piece. So take to your tables. Come on back if you need it. You can suck on it. You can save it. Whatever you need to do. Hold on. Oh, I've got more in my bag. Let me get some more out of my bag. A big bag full here. All right. Excellent. Thank you. Pass them out to your tables. You need some more. I've got so many. Plenty for everyone to share. How does it feel when you're taking it back to your tables? You're giving everybody a piece. Share with everybody. Excellent. Goodness, this is a big group, isn't it? Keep going. I've got another bag. Hold on. More in my bag here. Let's make sure we get everybody some. We should have enough for everybody. Okay, there's five. Perfect. Okay. If you know, if you need to share with the other table next to you or make sure everybody gets, well, let's just share with everyone. Sharing the Werther's candy. Lots at your table. Here's some more. We you reach my bag. I've got plenty in my bag, so keep going. Yes. Wow, we are blowing through it faster than this morning did, didn't they? All right. Excellent. Take all those. We should have one more bag in here still. Hold on. We reach in my bag. Oh, can we? Oh, you know what? That is the, my last bag. Oh, no. Oh, no. You're going to have to use your imagination or share with the other tables. That is completely, that's, that totally blew the illustration, but you'll get the idea of it. I think you'll see why this has to do with our lesson before too long. You have more? Well, Amy, I ran out. You have more. Oh, I thought you said you need more. Oh, Amy's got some here. Raise your hand if you didn't get one. We'll get the point. I was trying to make the point that I had this whole giant, enormous, unending bag of Werther's, but it was a bit of an illusion. So <laughs> bear with me as I try to make an illustration to our parable today, the parable of the unforgiving servant. We'll come back to my giant bag and your one-by-one one piece of sharing with each other. I'd like to open us in prayer. Father, I praise you that you are a merciful and forgiving God, that you are compassionate and loving towards all you have made. I thank you that you sent your son, sacrificing his life that we might be forgiven. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that enables us to become like him I ask you to teach us by your word to be merciful as you are merciful. May we greater see the greatness of your forgiveness and more freely share that what we've been given to others around us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 
So I've chosen as our theme to take a spin off of 1 John 4:19. 1 John 4:19 says, "We love because he first loved us." So we'll tweak that a bit for tonight's lesson and say, "We forgive because he first forgave us." And we'll look at the parable this week from Matthew chapter 18, the unforgiving or unmerciful servant, or I like what the New English translation says, the unforgiving slave the parable of the unforgiving slave. The context we look at in the homework this week of verses 15 through 20 is really church discipline. What to do when a brother, someone in the church, a sister, someone in the church offends you and there's this course of action to be taken elevating within church authority of how to handle that. And I wanted you to note verse 20, it's often quoted out of context. You've probably heard where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am amongst them. It's a beautiful verse. But do we catch that it's really where two or more are gathered in my name, disciplining a church brother, there also I am, right? So um, that's a little bit of where we're headed when Peter comes up with this question. So in verse 21, Peter comes to Jesus and says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or my sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Well, why was he asking this question? Well, the conventional thinking would have been to forgive three times. So Peter's actually thinking he's doing pretty well, kind of a little brown noser as he sometimes was towards Jesus. How about if I forgive seven times? And there was a a quote on page six in our introduction about parables, that parables often serve to reveal and challenge stereotypes, to reveal and challenge preconceived ideas, conventional thinking, attitudes, and actions challenging all of that in order to transform it all in the way of Jesus. Peter had some preconceived ideas, and there was some conventional thinking about forgiveness, and Jesus came to obliterate all of that, (laughs) to reveal and challenge and bring us to a greater way, his way of interacting and loving with one another. So then it goes on in the story. Jesus' answer is, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Or it's also correct to translate it 70 times seven, 490 times. And then he goes on with that therefore, always asking what's the therefore, therefore, to illustrate his point. His point was not start your list and keep 49 times. When they get to 48, give them their warning. They're almost maxed out, right? No, the point was, as we'll see as he uses hyperbole even, to bring a bigger understanding of forgiveness. So he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents, we saw that a talent is the heaviest weight and the most precious metal would have been gold, The annual revenue of King Herod's entire kingdom was 900 talents for the whole kingdom. This was 10,000 talents, so billions of dollars. Jesus is evoking exaggeration or hyperbole to make his point clear for us. So obviously, verse 25, he was not able to pay. So the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Three things he did. He fell on his knees. 
He asked for patience, and he begged. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Well, at this point, I think we're not that surprised because I think we know that the king is God and we know God is love and God is merciful. And so, yeah, he's probably going to forgive the poor guy. But that's not how the listeners would have heard it that way because that's not how kings were in the day. Kings always wanted their debts paid up. Kings were always often harsh in their punishment if you couldn't pay the debt. So it was very surprising to them that this king forgave the debt. But then it says, the servant went out, like literally left from there, or as the message says, the servant was no sooner out of the room when he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, or a hundred silver coins, a hundred days' work, a couple of months. He grabbed him, began to choke him, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees. Be patient with me, and I will pay it back, and begged him. Jesus exactly keyed that up the same for us to see. But servant number one refused refused to forgive servant number two. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Well, how was he going to pay that debt while he was in prison? When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged, or some say they were greatly distressed. They knew what had happened in our first scene when his enormous debt had been forgiven. And now they're watching him punish this fellow servant, the fellow slave. And they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called servant number one back in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you. We looked up mercy. And I hope you caught some of the synonyms there because it says big-heartedness. That's a great word. But there's several heartednesses that were listed in my dictionary. Big-heartedness, good-heartedness, kind-heartedness, large-heartedness, soft-heartedness, warm-heartedness. These are God's heart for those who have offended him. God's heart for his children. Good thing to celebrate on Valentine's Day. His big-heartedness, good-heartedness, kind, large, soft, warm-heartedness for us. And he says, since I had mercy on you, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant? Now catch the contrast here. So the king had forgiven the servant or the slave, right? That's a vertical forgiveness, And then the slave turned and did not forgive his fellow slave, his fellow servant there. So we see the difference between vertical forgiveness, God of us, which will represent my ginormous sort of bag of worthers, and then the forgiveness horizontally of giving a little peace to our brother along the way. We saw that in last week's lesson also in Luke 7, where we learned mostly about God's forgiveness of us. Tonight, we get to take that and share it out with others. Well, in verse 34, in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Of course, would have been impossible. And then verse 35, I don't think we like verse 35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. 
Let's pull that apart a little bit. I want to read a quick quote here from R.C. Sproul, one of my favorite theologians. He said, First the servant was threatened with justice, then he received mercy, but he despised the grace and mercy of the king, and in despising that mercy, he got the justice. So there's kind of how that circle went out. He was threatened with justice, he got mercy, but he despised the grace of the king and rejected that mercy, so therefore he got justice. We'll come back to that later. Jesus clearly doesn't want us to be like this servant, right? That's kind of the point. He wants us to forgive from our hearts, and I think there are three things that we need to do in order to do that successfully. First of all, we've got to recognize how much we've been forgiven, We have to recognize both the enormity of our sin and the enormity of the price Jesus paid to forgive it. So let's look at this enormity of our sin. How can we know how great our sin is? By growing more aware of how great his holiness is. By seeing God as fully holy and perfect, we become more aware of our sinfulness. When Isaiah glimpsed it, His response was, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. God is holy, holy, holy. I am a sinner, a sinner, a sinner. We have to recognize every thought, desire, word, action, reaction against his perfect law is our sin. And we daily rack up quite an account. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know our sin is described as filthy rags, or as we understand in this room especially, menstrual rags. That's what our sin is like, so offensive. One of our problems in recognizing our sin is we look pretty good on the outside. Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. They looked great on the outside, pretty good on the outside, but inside, dead and sinful souls. Our greatest sins are within, with those that only God knows. And sometimes we think we can hide, but they are not hidden from him. He sees them. They are in full view. Paul recognized the enormity of his sin. He called himself the worst of sinners. And he wrote in his letters often about how he recognized that enormous price that had been paid for this enormous sin. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law that should have been ours by becoming a curse for us. The perfect, holy, sinless son of God became a curse because of the enormity of our sin. So we see the enormity of our sin and the enormity of that price that he paid These were foretold by Isaiah, the price that Jesus would pay, his suffering and sacrifice on our behalf. In Isaiah 53, we read, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. We held him in low esteem. Surely Jesus took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, 
and by his wounds, we are healed. Jesus sacrifices and forgives us out of his love and his desire to be with us. Did you notice at the front of the parable that the master wanted to settle debts? Or some of the accounts say he, he desired, he, he wanted, he wished to settle those debts, the accounts of the debtors. That's his heart for us. He knew those debtors couldn't settle accounts with him. He was headed out to show, show mercy. But it occurred to me that Jesus had never sinned, so he never received forgiveness. He could extend it out of his love and his mercy and the fact that he had reigning authority to do so. Us, on the other hand, we have sinned. We have received forgiveness. And so therefore, we can go and share that out with others along the way from that enormous reserve. It also occurred to me that the price that Jesus paid for our sins was death. Our offenses resulted in his death. And no matter how terrible or awful or tragic or unfair or unthinkable, the things that have happened to you or to me, they have not resulted in our death. They didn't kill us though on some days we might wish they would have. And actually, it is possible that another sin could have killed someone dear to us. But my point is that we are here, and we have life. And the only way to be fully free from the pain and loss of the hurt and experience the fullness of this life is forgiveness. So we've got to recognize how much we've been forgiven, and then we have to receive, receive the gift of forgiveness. This was really the focus of last week's lesson in Luke 7. The sinful woman came crying at his feet, and the short parable there compared someone who owed 500 denarii with someone who owed 50, and the question was, which one will love him more? This was vertical forgiveness, right? One of my favorite singers, Christian singers, is Michael Card, and he has a song. I love the picture of it, Come to the Table. We have to receive this gift. We have to come sit. We've been invited to sit and dine with the master. And the words say, come to the table and savor the sight, the wine and the bread that was broken. All have been welcome to come if they might, except as their own, these two tokens, the bread is his body, the wine is his blood, and the one who provides them is true. He freely offers, we freely receive. To accept and believe him is all we must do. I wonder what might keep us from receiving this forgiveness. Maybe you don't think you need it. Well, you do. But maybe you don't think you deserve it. Well, you don't. And as my mother sometimes remind me, and I'll give a shout out to her today, for 30 years I've worn this garnet heart that she gave me on Valentine's Day. My birthstone is also garnet. But my mother often reminds me, sometimes we have to just shut up and be thankful. <laughs> just take the gift, shut up and be thankful. Come to the table, open your heart and receive it. It's why he died. Don't discount his suffering and death on your behalf. Don't disregard his sacrifice and the great price he paid. Let the cleansing flow of his blood wash over the enormity of your sin and make you clean and whole again.
In last week's lesson, the question Jesus asked was, which of them will love more? The result of the forgiveness he received was love. And thinking back on this week's parable, the servant who had been forgiven millions, billions of dollars, what should have his response been? Love. Love for the forgiving king and love for his fellow servants. So after we've received this gift of forgiveness, we are ready to respond by sharing the forgiveness with others. Jesus doesn't grant us forgiveness for our own good, but also for the good of others around us. If we only allow forgiveness in, we become like the Dead Sea with water and minerals flowing in and nothing out so that nothing can grow there. I grew up in a small mountain town in northern New Mexico, Los Alamos, New Mexico. And I remember when I was in middle school, a lady moved to town, a nail lady moved to town. She was very interesting. We never had a nail lady in my town, but she set up a little shop. And I remember I loved to go sit and visit with her while she did my mom's nails. She was always talking about Jesus. That was also a little unusual in our town. And I remember she said, why do I always talk about Jesus? For this reason. She said, because if I won the lottery, I would always be talking about the lottery. Well, I've got something way more than the lottery. I've got Jesus's love in my life, and I'm going to keep talking about it and keep telling other people about it. I want others to share in the gift that I've received. Same is true with this forgiveness idea. It's great We've won it. We've got it. Let's tell about it. Let's share about it with others. In her opening message to us, Amy taught us that parables show people how to live in the heartbeat of their creator. Experiencing and extending forgiveness could not be any closer to the heartbeat of our creator. Or as a phrase in our church's mission statement says, we are to be formed in the way of Jesus. Forgiveness is the way of Jesus. It's the gospel. It's the good news. It's what it's all about. So I see two elements to understand about forgiveness. The first will be to forgive out of obedience and then to forgive out of the freedom to be gained by doing so. So let's talk about obedience, another popular church word, right? <laughs> let's look at Colossians 3.13. This was in our lesson. It says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. We are commanded to forgive. It is a directive. One place I think that can help is to start to recognize that the offense is not really against us. It is against God. We are his children. And when someone hurts us, they hurt him. If you're a mom or a mama bear, <laughs> you know what I mean. Or maybe you're a dog mom. You know what I mean. You say you're sitting peacefully at a park bench watching your joyful baby playing happily in the park when another child or another dog a bit bigger than yours comes and chases him, pushes a big shove and pushes him down the slide or gives a big growl and starts chasing them. Even though the offense committed was against your child or your little puppy, you took on the offense yourself. Get your hands off my child. Get your hands off my puppy. The same is true about God. We are his children, and he will take up for us for these offenses against our offenders. Romans 12, 9 says, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. 
I will repay, says the Lord. We can run to the Lord for comfort and help, but let's let him handle the offenders. We actually have a number of challenging directives about obedience and forgiveness that are all run contrary to the way we feel, to our hurt and our human emotions. Let's look at these other commands. So in Romans chapter 12, it says, Bless those who persecute you and do not curse. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Or in Matthew 5, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Verses we don't necessarily like, but we've been commanded to do. And there's two points to remember about obedience. First of all, God only asks us to do that which is for our good and for his glory. And he will only ask us to do that which for which he will give us the Holy Spirit to enable us to obey and follow through. The second point, God delights in our obedience. It makes him joyful when we obey in the way that we love others, even if they haven't loved us. In the beginning of this lesson, I shared a story about my absolutely losing it, two times extreme losing it that I can remember with my kids. And it was over squabbling, sibling, critical, mean, just nasty to one another. In one of those moments, I remember just shrieking. I was not known for shrieking. And their little eyes popping out of their head like, who is this witch that has taken over our mother? And the heartbreak in that and the anger in that as a parent and I thought about that so much in this lesson. We are his children. He wants us to get along. I recently ordered out of a deal, out of mixed tiles, a little stick-on pictures, this and 24 other pictures of my four happy children, happy at least in this moment for the picture, because it brings me great joy. The greatest joy of parenting is their relationships with one another, that they will have long after their dad and I have died and gone on. I pray for those relationships to be well. And in adulthood, it's really fun to watch them coming together. But we are siblings, and it brings God great joy when we obey and get along and extend that forgiveness. He says in Philippians 2.2, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. When we forgive and get along with our siblings, our fellow servants, that brings joy to God's heart. So we can forgive and should forgive out of obedience. But let's also forgive out of the freedom to be gained by doing so. A definition I gave you for forgiveness is that it means to, to choose to no longer act in response to the hurt this person brought into our lives. Let me read that definition again. Forgiveness means to choose to no longer act in response to the hurt the person brought into our lives. It doesn't mean we forget the hurt. It means we've turned it over to God, allowing him to heal us and shape us more into the likeness of his son. We can experience the freedom of forgiveness by separating the hurt from the person who caused it and releasing them both to God. We release the hurt when we open our hearts, the deepest parts, to God, Jehovah Rapha, the gentle healer who wants to come in and bring deep healing to our hearts. And then we release the person, the offender, when we trust him or her back to the sovereign and just hands of God who will promise to take avenge and handle it. 
we may have to remind ourselves of the simple childhood song. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me, sister, in his hands. He's got my offender and my offender and that one too in his hands. And a favorite illustration I like about understanding God's sovereignty and our suffering is this openness of hands that he holds us with. That nothing comes to us, no offense, no other kind of tragedy comes to us if it hasn't come through his hands to get there for his purposes that we may not understand. We don't have to understand to accept and receive the hurt that's come. One of my greatest life's aims is to see people living in the fullness and freedom that Jesus gives. Many of us are not because of unforgiveness. Maybe you've been hurt recently or long ago, and you're holding on to anger towards that person or to God. You've been hurt, and maybe you're stuck in the pain and sadness of that hurt. Or maybe you don't trust or connect well with others because of past hurt. Maybe you haven't let Jesus in to heal as your heart grows harder with bitterness and resentment. I pray this lesson would begin to break away through some of those thick layers of hurt. When our bones break, they grow back harder, which is great for bones. <laughs> but this is not good for broken hearts. We want our hearts to stay soft-hearted, warm-hearted, kind-hearted like God's. Part of that is the work of forgiveness. Your forgiveness can be a powerful tool and might greater show that other person God's forgiveness, whether they asked for it or not. But even if it doesn't, leave it to God, greater press into his love. And remember that the way you handle this, this hurt and this offense is also being watched by your fellow servants. They know the offense like those in our story, and they're watching how you handle the great offense that happened and what you did with the forgiveness you received. You're likely familiar with the story of Corey Tenboom. Her family helped hide Jews in Nazi-occupied Germany during World War II. She and her father and her sister were arrested and taken to prison where her father died 10, 10 days later. Uh, she, Corey and her sister Betsy went on to concentration camps where her sister later died under those deplorable conditions and terrible treatment we've all heard of. Corey courageously clung tightly to her faith and would go on to tell her story around the world. I want to share with you one of her quotes about forgiveness. She says, Forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred. It is a power that breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. Will you leave that up for just a second? I just want us to reflect back on this phrase, this quote for just a second. Do you sometimes feel locked behind a door of resentment? Or are your hands sometimes feeling handcuffed with hate? Is your heart chained in the pain of deep bitterness? And then that last phrase is interesting, the shackles of selfishness. I think when we are holding so tightly to our wounds, not letting Jesus' healing penetrate them, we become very self-absorbed and self-centered, closed off from those around us. 
Forgiveness is the key that unlocks and breaks all of that and sets us free. Exactly one year and two weeks ago today, I was terribly hurt by an unexpected letting go from a job that I dearly loved. I was the president of a national nonprofit leading a coalition of our field's top leaders serving in public policy and education. I had rebuilt the struggling financials and regained our credibility both here and abroad. Tragically, each member of our small team was let go at the same time and I took on the weight of that hurt for all of them. We were told we had done nothing wrong, but we were treated like criminals. The circumstances are too complex to explain here, but suffice it to say, several Christian men treated me in very unchristian ways. The timeline went like this. I was in Washington, D.C., meeting with congressional leaders and foundation directors, really the culmination of three years' work. That was on Thursday and Friday. And that night, I flew down to Orlando, and we managed to fly all members of our family uh, from their colleges and my parents from Arizona into Orlando, where Disney World was celebrating its 50th anniversary, and I was celebrating my 50th birthday. We, our family had been separated with a mental health crisis for several months, and this was our first time back together in Orlando. We had a glorious time. My birthday was on Monday. We flew home on Tuesday, and two hours within getting off of that plane, I was sat in an office and told that was my last day on that job. Needless to say, I was completely hurt and devastated, shocked, confused, embarrassed, angry, and terribly sad. Sometimes all of those things at the same time. What I've come to learn that I'd like to share with you tonight is that forgiveness is a form of grieving. Grief is a loss, and there's a lot of loss that happens when we're hurt. In grief, we go in and through and around the stages of shock and denial, anger, sadness, and ultimately back to acceptance. Many of the truths that I've shared with you this evening are freshly learned in this difficult year. Several people told me it would take a year to really recover emotionally, and that has been true. Studying and preparing for this lesson has been a beautiful part of that healing process. God's timing is always perfect. I can say by Christ working in me, I'm no longer acting in response to this big hurt. I pressed in closer to Christ for his comfort and tender healing more than I ever have in my life. And in time, I have released my offenders back into his sovereign hands where they always were. I know he's working all things in my life and in theirs for his glory. One more truth I might add that I've had to learn is that forgiveness can happen without reconciliation. In fact, I think often it does. Reconciling with your offenders may or may not happen, but forgiveness from the heart still can. Healing in my heart still can. By his grace, we walk on in the fullness and freedom he gives. A couple of thoughts to close. Forgiveness depends on God. It is based on his great mercy and compassion, his great forgiveness of us. Whether it's slandering, gossiping, firing, hitting, abusing, neglecting, manipulating, using, cheating, lying to, stealing from, divorcing. 
whether it's been done to you or by you, God is bigger. His mercy flows deeper and wider and farther to cover all. The hymn says, here is love vast as the ocean. I think we have an ocean. There it is. (laughs) Loving kindness as a flood. And here comes our fellow servant seeking a little cup of forgiveness for the sins that he or she has committed against us. But even if they don't come, I've got the ocean of love pouring over me and through me, and I live on in the freedom and fullness he gives. Maybe we own an entire super Walmart, and we've been asked to give a loaf of bread. We've got a giant bag of candy, and we're asked to share one piece. We've received 10,000 talents, and our king wants us to share 100 denarii. Our debt of a billion dollars, more than we could ever possibly earn, has been forgiven. May we freely go and release the few weeks' pay debt of our fellow servant. I'm reminded Jesus died for them too. He granted them forgiveness, so shouldn't I also? The closing words, um, I think, Amy, I'm going to let you give me the thumbs up if we should go on with time on song. No, we're not. Okay. Okay. So in the end of your lesson, there are some words to a song by Matthew West. The song is called Forgiveness. And I would challenge you to look it up, put it on your Spotify or your Pandora going home. Let that song play through. I'll close this out in prayer and I have two wrap up thoughts for us to be done. In the song, he talks about show us how to do the impossible and love the unlovable. I think we can offer some of those words back to prayer. Let me close this. Yes, Lord, show us how to do the impossible and how to love the unlovable, for we know that with you all things are possible. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Lord, we open our hearts to you. See if there be any offensive way within us and lead us in the way everlasting. Lord, in this room, see if there be any unforgiveness in us and lead us in the way everlasting, your way of freedom and fullness, where you receive your healing and extend your forgiving. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen.